0: the point isn't necessarily that you're going to have these long in-depth theological discussions for hours on end with your wife and kids, but rather like that your kids just get used to talking about Jesus with their mommy and daddy. That's the point uh, that they hear mommy and daddy, not just praying for a meal and kind of moving on, but that these moments become sacred where you learn to talk about the things of God and how it applies to everyday life. How's it going, guys? Welcome back to the Dad Tired Podcast. I'm your host, Jared Lopes. Join me every Monday as we dive into what it looks like to be men who fall in love with Jesus and help our families do the same. You can learn more about our books, resources, conferences, and even online community by going to dadtired.com. Let's dive into today's episode. Hey guys, before we dive in, I do want to remind you that we have two Dad Tired Conferences coming up in the month of February. One is in Apex, North Carolina on February 22nd, and then we have another one on February 29th in Maurice, Iowa. If you live anywhere in those areas, you should definitely come and spend the day with us. We talk about what the gospel or how the gospel changes the way that we see ourselves, our marriage, our parenting, and our work. So, If you're not already signed up to come to those and you're in the area, make sure to go to dadtired.com, click the conferences tab and get signed up. All right, now let's dive into today's episode. All right, guys, welcome back to the Dad Tired Show. So glad that you're here. Today we are talking about redeeming dinner time, uh, which really can be any meal time. If you are like me, I have an eight-year-old, a six-year-old and a one-year-old and dinner or really any meal, but especially dinner. Uh, is just chaos. Um, <laughs> and I hope I'm not alone. Hopefully I don't record this podcast and I get a bunch of emails like, dude, bro, like what's wrong with your family? <laughs> Dinner's fine for us. We're great. Like all meals are very proper and my kids sit and listen to me and we they eat all their vegetables and dinner time is just like one of the most amazing deep times that we have in our family. And then I'll feel really dumb that I'm the only one, but I don't think I am uh, just based on like some of my friends and going around like eating at different places and restaurants and all that. I think dinner time and mealtime for most of us is just chaotic. Uh, The other night I took my family out to Red Robin, which I think is a national chain. Uh, I've seen a lot of Red Robins. It's I can't, I don't even know what to compare it to. If there's not a Red Robin near you, Google it. Uh, It's just a normal, like American restaurant chain, (laughs) Applebee's ish. I should probably Google it regardless it doesn't matter anyway we went out to dinner to a place called Red Robin which is near our house and um, we're sitting around the table uh, at at the restaurant and I do this often my wife and I do this often and we look around and this is a very family-friendly restaurant and I look around and just everybody everybody is on a screen parents are looking at their phones uh, some people like literally aren't talking to each other Couples aren't even talking to to each other because they're looking at their phones. I looked over to my right and there was like three girls, maybe in high school, literally taking like selfies and posing with pictures of their food and like, you know, like making like duck lips and trying to be all cute with their pictures. And like just everybody's on a screen. They actually even have at this restaurant screens on the table for kids to play with, which, you know, you never do because that costs like $10 to have your kid play pinball on the machine or whatever, right? It's just like most parents hate that machine. But then we hand them like iPads and cell phones. And you're just trying to like survive. And you look around the restaurant and you just see everyone's like on a phone, on a screen. So many people are on a screen. And uh, we as a family, we just have a no screen rule during mealtime and especially at restaurants, but during all mealtime, really, we just don't have any screens. And I was thinking to myself as we were at this restaurant eating and just kind of looking around and seeing the amount of screens around us, uh, we never as a family, like we didn't have this deep uh, intentional conversation. We didn't have like this big game plan where we said we were never going to have screens at the table. I think there was just one day uh, if I if I remember right, like Layla and I were actually on a date and we both happened to pull up our phone at the same time. Like this happens sometimes where we will ask each other a question and we'll be like, well, what did you think about that? Or did you check the calendar on this or whatever? And we'll both pull out our phone at the same time and to look up something. And then we're like, oh, geez, like we're that couple right now, uh, not talking to each other, looking at our phone. This happened probably early on in our marriage. And so we would just put our phones in our pockets and then it just became kind of this like, unspoken rule whenever we eat together like man when we're here face to face let's just be face to face to each other and enjoy a meal and not have any phones and then we just kind of implemented that with our kids we don't bring any ipads we don't give them our phone when we're at dinner we just like want them to teach just teach them to sit and be quiet not that sounded terrible not like sit and be quiet but to sit quietly and respectfully at a dinner table and to eat and, ha- and be able to talk to each other and talk with mom and dad and all that stuff so this is just something that we've done but i remember thinking as we were sitting at red robin like i didn't have any real big game plan this has just become a value in our family and then i thought uh, it seems like um this is maybe an area where other parents are struggling with like what do i do at dinner time at home or at restaurants like how do we handle dinner it's like it's it's stressful and so I thought this might be a good day to like this might be a good episode to address this one not just why we do it and how we do it but more importantly like what does God say about it and why is this important I think for most of us dinner time is stressful it's just something that we're trying to survive and something that we dread we're getting through especially like I've got a one-year-old and dude like it is stressful trying to feed that little girl she's like texture she doesn't she throws things around she makes a mess she swipes things off of the 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 table like I'm just remembering how chaotic and stressful it is to try to feed a toddler and so I think for most of us we feel that way it's just like it's it's like a time that we dread um, what's super interesting though is there's tons of studies this is fascinating if you just google this and you do and you search like studies that show um, the benefits of eating together as a family you can google all the variations of that. What's super fascinating though is all the universities and organizations that have done studies that show the link between success and how uh, how the world would measure success anyway um, successful kids, and the link back to them eating meals constantly with their family, uh, so especially dinner time which is really, really fascinating just from a secular point of view. Um, all the, the data shows, and and just the, the more studies, Purdue just did a study on this, Harvard has done a study on this, but they're linking like kids' success in school, their educational success back to the amount of times that they ate together with their family around a meal. This is super fascinating uh, for us. And then you have to just ask why, like why is there a correlation there? And the other thing that's really fasc- fascinating is they're not just finding – Um, success with students in education, but they're also finding psychological success. Like kids are mentally, have better mental health when they have more shared meals around a table with their family than when they don't. Incredible, incredible stuff. But for us as dads, like as Christian men who are trying to lead our family well, we have to ask the question like why? Why is this important to us? Why are we talking about dinner time as it relates to leading our family well? And, And so in order to answer that question, like I'm going to put on my pastor hat and kind of geek out on Bible stuff for a second. Uh, so just hang with me. Uh, but w- the goal here is to answer the question like why, why is this important? Why do, why are we even talking about meals? And again, I, you know me, like if, if you've been listening to dad tired podcast for any amount of time, in fact, I have a whole book on this called stop behaving. My goal is to not, just get us to like behave better and raise kids who behave better. So the point of this podcast is not to say, hey, man, get your kids to like shape up at dinner and make sure that they're quiet and respectful and polite at dinner dinnertime. Uh, and that's what good Christians should do. N- not at all, like not at all what I'm trying to get at. I'm trying to get at the deeper question, why is dinner, why are are meals, why are meals as a family so important? Like, what would Jesus have to say about this? How does the gospel relate to our families eating a meal together? Why is this something that we should even be talking about? So I'm going to put on my pastor hat a little bit, and I'm just going to try to walk through this with you uh, from a biblical perspective, okay? So uh, I'm going to make kind of a bold statement here, (laughs) so hang with me. let me tell you about one of the most useful apps on my phone. It's hard to find the time to sit down, to read and learn more. And when you don't have free time, you can't read or work on personal development. But there's an incredible app that solves this problem. I highly recommend it. It's called Blinkist. Blinkist is really unique and it works on your phone, your tablet, or your web browser. Blinkist takes the best key takeaways, the need-to-know information, from thousands of nonfiction books and condenses them down to just 15 minutes that you can either read or listen to. 12 million people are using Blinkist right now, and it has a massive and growing library. From self-help, business, health, to history books, Blinkist has the latest titles from bestsellers list as well as the classic nonfiction titles you always meant to read but never had the time to i love to listen to blinkist when i'm traveling on an airplane or when i'm commuting from one place to another in fact we have a lot of past dad tired guests who have books on blinkist two of my favorite are gary chapman's book the five love languages and also john mark comer's book the ruthless elimination of hurry with blinkist you get unlimited access to read or listen to a massive library of condensed nonfiction books all the books you want and all for one low price Right now, for a limited time, Blinkist has a special offer just for our audience. Go to Blinkist.com slash tired. Try it for free for seven days and save 25% off your new subscription. That's Blinkist, spelled B-L-I-N-K-I-S-T, Blinkist.com forward slash tired to start your seven-day free trial. You'll also save 25% off, but only when you sign up at Blinkist.com forward slash tired. But I believe, and I, could, I think I can make an argument, that the whole story of God throughout the entire scriptures can be summed up or put together or uh, kind of landmarked through three major meals in the Bible. So here's what I mean. You may be a person who has never looked at the Bible as one grand story. Uh, meaning, you've just you've you've seen the Bible. You may know that there's a bunch of books in the Bible. There's 66 to be exact. And so you you look at the Bible and you just see a bunch of stories, random stories that just kind of help us become better Christians and better moral people. And you just kind of pick and choose. You just kind of you know flip through. Uh, quickly and then stop and put a finger there and say, okay, like God, speak to me uh, through this verse or passage. And you just kind of pull something out and everything's just kind of randomly put together. If, if maybe that's your, maybe that's your story, or maybe you've heard that the Bible is one grand story. Like it tells the story from the very beginning of the scriptures to the very end of the scriptures. There's one big story happening and you've heard that, but you've always been kind of confused. Like, uh, I don't really get that. Like I, I, I've heard People say that the Bible is one big story, but I just don't fully understand the whole, what the story is or what it's really about, other than God kind of died for our sins, and now here's how we should behave. <laughs> uh, so maybe that's you. Maybe that's the category that you fall in. If it is, I'm going to try to make this uh, very easy for you to wrap your brain around. Um, so here's what I want you to do. I want you to just think of the whole story of God as three major meals. And again, I know this is kind of like, dude, Jared, why are you oversimplifying things? Uh, Let me just like, let me... Somebody said once, if you can't explain to a six-year-old, you probably don't understand it yourself. So I'm going to try to explain this as if we're all six-year-olds trying to wrap our brains around like the Bible and how confusing and controversial and all that stuff is like, let's just sum it up, sum it down, uh, break it down into three major meals. Okay. So the first meal starts in Genesis, the very first pages of scripture, the very first book in the Bible starts with a meal. You see God create heavens and earth. He creates beasts and the animals of the field and the oceans and galaxies and all that. And then God creates his most prized possession, Adam and Eve. And then what happens? He puts them in a garden where where they can tend to the garden and they can eat the fruit of the garden. And there's one tree in the middle of the garden called the tree of knowledge of good and evil. And God says you can eat from any tree. So we're already like very, very early in scripture. We're talking about eating food. God said you can eat from any tree in the entire garden except this tree, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Don't eat of this tree or you'll die. And then what happens? We see Satan, the evil one, slither disguised as a snake, come up to Adam and Eve and to whisper in their ears and say, did God really say you can't eat of this tree or any of these trees? Or are you going to die? And they say, no, God said we can eat of any of these trees. We just can't eat of this one tree or else we'll die. And Satan says, you're not going to die. Surely you'll be like God, like you're missing out. There's something more amazing for you. You just need to eat this apple. And so Eve, seeing that the fruit was pleasant to the eye, takes of it, and she eats it. This is the first major meal that we see in the scriptures. It's a Adam and Eve taking a piece of fruit and eating it. Now, listen, I always say this, the Bible should end right there. God creates a perfect universe. He says, if you do what I ask you to do, you will thrive. You will have joy. Things will be good. And yet man and woman turn their back on God, just like you and I turn our backs on God every single day. We say, just like they said, I think I might be missing out on other things that God has for me or instead of, or things, instead of what God has for me. And I'm going to chase after other things other than what God has given me for satisfaction. And so, Adam and Eve take of the apple and they eat it. It's the very first meal that we see in Scripture. And now listen, this meal is important and significant because all of creation starts to deteriorate in that very moment. Everything starts to break down from the micro, the galaxies, the cosmos, from that all the way down to the micros, microscopic, like the very little things, the dirt, the sin in the soil, like everything becomes sinful and broken and starts to fall apart. One meal causes the destruction of God's perfect creation. And God could have and he should have bailed, but he doesn't. Now, something super interesting happens here. This is very significant. In Genesis 3, 21, it says this, And the Lord God made for Adam and his wife garments of skins and clothed them super fascinating. Okay. Stay with me. I know I'm like flying through this and I'm all over the place, but stay with me. The first meal in the scriptures, Genesis three, the Adam and Eve take a bite. And what do they do? They hide in their shame. They say God God wouldn't want to be around us. He's mad at us. But instead of God bailing, what does God do? Genesis 3, 21. And the Lord God made for Adam and his wife garments of skins and clothed them. Now listen, this is a significant point to remember because it's going to set us up for the second major meal. But the first major meal, they eat, they turn their backs on God, they're hiding in their shame, and God clothes them, clothes them with skin. Now, why is that super fascinating? Why is that very interesting? Why is it very significant? Because it's the first time that we see innocent blood was shed to cover up the sins of another person. Innocent blood shedding to be covered over the guilty. It's the vi- we see it very, very back in Genesis 3, uh, where something had to die and cover up. Something innocent died. An animal, an innocent animal dies for the sake of a guilty person, okay? very, very significant. In fact, all the rest of the scriptures in the Old Testament, this becomes a practice. They would take sacrifices, innocent animals, uh, goats, sheep without blemishes, doves without blemishes, and they would sacrifice them. And that innocent animal would atone for or substitute or cover up the sins of the guilty person. This happened over every day, every year. There were sacrifices over and over and over. And in fact, the more you sin, the more sacrifices you need. And then you would have to have a priest uh, sacrifice for you and make bigger atonements for you and substitutions for you. I know I'm geeking out. I know you're probably like, Jared, what does this have to do with me being a better dad and husband? Just hang with me. This is important stuff, okay? So all throughout the Old Testament, starting in Genesis 3, we see a meal start the destruction of the world, and then we see innocent blood uh, shed as a substitute for the guilty party, okay? And then we get to the meal 2. This is very big. In meal 2, right before we get to it, actually, let me tell you about what happens in John chapter 1. In John chapter one, there's a guy named John the Baptist. He's baptizing people. He's getting people ready for Jesus to come. He sees Jesus coming in a distance. There's a crowd standing around. And listen to what John the Baptist says in John chapter one. He says, behold, the lamb of God who comes to take away the sins of the world. Really, really interesting language there. He refers to Jesus as a lamb. Like they would have thought of lambs as things that needed to be sacrificed in order to atone for sins. And now they're saying there's a person that we're calling a lamb. This is interesting language because nobody else was ever referred to as a lamb. Like nobody, We weren't sacrificing other people for the atonement of sin. So how come this guy is being called a lamb? Well, we know later, Jesus, during the Last Supper, where Jesus says, this is my blood which is poured out for you. This is my body which is broken. That would have been very familiar language to them. Because they were used to like blood being shed, bodies being broken of animals to sacrifice for their sins, to cover up their guilt. And so now Jesus is saying, my blood is being poured out for you. My body is being broken for you. I am the atonement, which is why we see in Ephesians 1, where, where the writer says, in him, in Jesus, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses. So again, First meal we ever see, Genesis, at the very beginning of the Bible, one meal starts to break down the whole world. God says, I'm going to fix it. I'm going to make things right again. Then we see God fulfilling that promise in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, where Jesus dies on a cross. And now he's saying, my blood, instead of skins covering you for your guilt, now Jesus' blood will be poured out for your guilt. This is amazing. This is the second major meal where Jesus is talking about Now his blood, his sacrifice is going to be the thing that covers the guilty party. That's the second major meal. And then the third major meal is at the very end of the Bible, Revelation, the last book in the Bible, Revelation 19 verse 9 says this, blessed are those who are invited to the wedding supper of the lamb. Some translations say the feast. In the very beginning of scripture, we see all of creation falling because of a meal In the middle of the Bible, we see creation starting to be redeemed because of the sacrifice of Jesus when he says, my blood was shed, my body was broken. It was a meal, a significant meal that pointed to the redemption of all things. And then we see at the very end of scripture, the end of the Bible, Revelation 19, God says, blessed are you, blessed are those who are invited into this feast of who? The Lamb. Who's the lamb? The second meal. The one who was shed. The blood that was poured out. The one who's covered up the guilt of us. All of scripture can be summed up in three major meals. The first meal in the scriptures where Adam and Eve took the fruit and they ate of it. Everything fell apart. The second meal in the middle of the Bible where Jesus says, I haven't bailed on you. In fact, instead of leaving you in your brokenness, I'm going to make all things new and you won't have to sacrifice animals anymore. I will be your sacrifice once and for all, for all men, for all time. And then the third meal, Revelation 19, when God says, I'm coming back. You get glimpses of heaven on earth today Through all kinds of beautiful things, but the world is still broken, but it won't always be broken. There will be no more tears, no more crying, no more pain, no more sorrow. And I'm coming back to fix it all. And we will eat together again. Three major meals in the scripture. Now, listen, this is why meals are so important for us. So, you're talking about like, Jared, I'm trying to be a dad, a husband, like, I'm just trying to survive the chaos of a family meal. What in the world am I supposed to do? How does that practically relate to us and our, our young family trying to just do dinner time? Here's three things that I would say to make dinner time very practical and to redeem it. Number one, I want you to realize this food is sacred, it's important. All throughout the scriptures, we see food is very, very important. And so us as families, as young families who are trying to point our kids and our wives back to Jesus, we take food seriously and we make it sacred. Sacred just means set apart. We want to set apart mealtime. Why do we do it? Because all throughout the scriptures, food is important. It plays significant part of our redemption. It tells the redemption story. Food is huge. It's a big deal. And so we make it separate and set apart. Now listen, the whole day is crazy, right? When we wake up our kids and we try to get them to school and we're frustrated because they're going slow and we're trying to get them out the door, we're trying to get to work, come home, we're eating dinner, the house is a mess, our wives are tired, we're tired, everything just feels chaotic. And so at what other point during the day are you going to find something sacred where you stop for even just a few minutes and you turn down the time a little bit you slow down enough to say this is different this day is set apart or this moment of the day is set apart it's sacred let dinner time let meal time be the one sacred moment of the day and so here would be my practical advice number one just no screens no technology no distractions sit down together put all the distractions away and have one moment in your day that's sacred that set apart. If you remember back uh, several, maybe over a year ago, we had Andy Couch, uh, Andy Crouch, sorry, on the podcast, and he was talking about. He has a book called A Tech Wise Family, and he talked about how at meal times, at dinner times, they would light candles. Uh, we've been doing this as a family, and it's become one of our favorite traditions to do. I think this is one of the ways that you can actually make mealtime, dinnertime, feel sacred. Again, sacred just means set apart. It doesn't mean like ultra holy. You're like making weird chants or anything. Sacred just means it's set apart. It's different. All throughout the day is chaos, and there's screens and technology, and we're just kind of moving fast. Dinner's different. We slow down. We pause. We look each other in the eye. We ask questions. We talk to each other without distraction and so you put away all screens all technology and in fact what we've been doing um through the recommendation of Andy Crouch is you just turn off the lights and you light some candles I just got cheap candles at Walmart man three of them in the middle of the table turn off all the lights light the candles and this is a reminder to our kids that this this time is different it's sacred it's not like the rest of the day And so maybe this is something for you, man. You just go out to the store, do it today. Like go get some candles and just tell your family, we're going to make dinner a separate sacred time where there's no distractions, no technology, and we set aside this part of our day to be different. That's number one. Number two, make it intentional. And for you, dad, specifically, try to come up with one question for your wife and kids to think about. And I know that like that may be intimidating for you and you're like, I don't even know where to begin. Let me give you some examples, things you can ask. Just ask your wife and kids, where did you see God today? Did you see God's goodness anywhere today? Was God good to you at all? How were you different today? Like we know that we're supposed to be salt and light. Were you salt and light today? Were you different? Did you try to be set apart as God's people? How can you be salt and light to those around us? Like how can we bless those? Tell me about your day at school and at work and at home. Are there opportunities for you that we can be different, that we can bless somebody, that we can be salt and light? You can ask questions like, what do you wish uh, you did differently today? Is there something you wish you would take back or parts of your heart that you need God to change? Is there still brokenness that you want God to change in you? Is there something you could have done different? Here's the thing, though. It It really doesn't matter, like, what the question is but just come into dinner and, instead of thinking man i'm just gonna have a beer or i'm just gonna relax or whatever and just like trying to make it through this chaos moment instead of that come in with intentionality as a dad and think what question and literally it just can be one like what one question can you ask your wife and kids today that would just have make this a little bit more sacred and meaningful of a time and be realistic have realistic expectations most dinners on average this is studies show this most dinners on average are 20 minutes or less So the the point isn't necessarily that you're going to have these long, in-depth theological discussions for hours on end with your wife and kids, but rather like that your kids just get used to talking about Jesus with their mommy and daddy. That's the point uh, that they hear mommy and daddy, not just praying for a meal and kind of moving on, but that these moments become sacred where you learn to talk about the things of God and how it applies to everyday life. And again, this is like 20 minutes or less and your toddlers may be swiping the table and your kids are goofing off and making fart noises and all this stuff. Like that's normal life, man. That's normal stuff. But the point is to get used to being in a rhythm where you learn as a family, you have this sacred moment and you learn as a family to talk about the things of God and how it applies to everyday life. So come in, make it intentional with one question. And the last thing I'll say, and this is how we'll wrap up, Uh, make it open to anyone. Try and share a meal with at least one other person throughout the week. And I mean this for you just personally, dude, like as a man, as a man of God on mission for the glory of God, what would it look like for you personally to share a meal with somebody else, whether that's a coworker or a friend, you already have to eat. So it's super easy to be missional and just think, who can I invite to share a meal with me? So you personally start to think that over. But then as a family on mission together, Ask each other, like ask your kids, ask your wife, who could we invite over? Who could come share a meal with us and invite them into that sacred and intentional space with you? What's crazy is, and what's amazing, and I love this, is Jesus had a reputation of being a glutton and a drunk, meaning he was often drinking and eating with sinners. All throughout the scriptures in Mark, he was accused of eating with sinners and people got mad at him. Like, why is he sharing so many meals with people who don't love God? It seems as if Jesus's primary method of evangelism came in the form of food. Jesus loved to slow down and to eat with people. He used food as a tool for evangelism to share about the goodness of God. And so this is why we take food important. It's sacred. It's sacred. We make these moments sacred, set apart from the rest of our day. We make them intentional. We ask good questions that dig under the surface of our wife's heart and our kid's heart. And then we make them open to anyone. We invite other people to come share food with us, to slow down in the midst of the chaos of their life and to say, hey, come into this sacred moment with us. Invite other people into that sacred and intentional moment with you to talk about the things of god that they would get a glimpse of heaven on earth and they would use, and you would use something as simple as food to bring chunks of heaven here to earth food's important, man dinner time's important. This is why it's worth fighting for. Yes, secular studies will show that it has all kinds of educational benefits and psychological benefits, of course, because God's good and the way that he designed things, God's good. Even the secular world is figuring that out. But for us as Christians, we recognize it's even deeper than that. Of course, it has educational benefits and psychological benefits. But even deeper, this is a moment for us as dads to lead our family towards Jesus. And so when you go out to restaurants and when you eat at home, you fight for these moments to be sacred and intentional and open to other people. And so take away the iPads. Turn down the lights a little bit. Light a candle. Slow down enough to have undistracted time with the ones that God has put in front of you. To love them and to lead them well. I love you guys. I'll see you next week.